Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. It's our USC vs. BYU preview show. We're going to talk to Mitch Harper. He's here on the 24-7 Sports Network. He publishes Cougar Sports Insider. That's the BYU site on the 24-7 Sports Network. So we're going to talk to him for 15 minutes or so talking about this BYU Cougar team. And then you guys said that a lot of questions uh, it happens, you know, in big weeks, but you said a lot of questions. So I'm going to try my best to answer them. We already had Harvey Hyde on this week. We already had uh, Dan Weber and Keely Yor, but there's still a bunch of questions there. So I kind of do a little solo podcast at the end and answer a bunch of your questions, at least do my best uh, to do that. And then, of course, you know, we have the BYU preview. So hope you guys enjoy it. Make sure you check out KABC Radio 790 here in Los Angeles, Friday night at midnight, we have our Peristyle pregame show. So it's a fully produced one-hour show that we do here at uscfootball.com, and it's going to be broadcast on KABC, like I said. So Friday night, midnight, it's basically game day. As soon as it turn, the, the clock strikes game day for Saturday, our show comes on. And if you don't want to be up at midnight or you're not in Los Angeles, you can actually listen on kabc.com. Uh, but also we'll put it up in podcast form here, wherever you get the Peristyle podcast. So you can listen to that. So pregame show, you want a full hour pregame show. We'll have Taylor Mays. Uh, we'll have Mitch Harper on again. Uh, we'll Keely shotgun and myself. We'll have awards and all kinds of stuff. So it should be uh, a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We did our first episode last week and we're going to do our uh, next episode coming up uh, Friday night. Like I said, midnight. And you'll it'll be available on the KABC website as of course, and also on the uh, Peristyle Podcast website. That feed wherever you get your podcast, you can check that out. All right, I want to tell you about SeatGeek before we jump into anything. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It seems that way sometimes. Uh, it's as if they think they're so big they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the seats you want? Hello, status quo. The real question is, how easy could it be if those ticket sites actually cared? Well, we're going to tell you about SeatGeek because they actually do. There's millions of live event tickets with a price match guarantee at SeatGeek. They'll, they're proving right now it's a, there's a better way to do this, and that's what SeatGeek's doing. You can search for sports, live music, comedy, Anything, anything you need tickets for, SeatGeek will help hook you up and help you out. Why is it better than the rest? So take a look at the app. I have it down on my phone. There's over 50,000 five-star reviews. So that's pretty good for customer satisfaction, I would say. The process is just better. They're going to pull millions of tickets from all over the web, and then they're going to rate all of them on a scale of 1 to 10 for every event that you're looking at. And then they'll display them on an interactive seat map. So you can see, click on the stadium, click on the arena, and see, hey, where the seat is, how much it costs, and what they feel the, the deal is on a scale of 1 to 10. So I use it on my app all the time when I need to get tickets for anything. I have SeatGeek app on my phone. Check it out. If you want to look at the USC-Utah game coming up in a, in a week, in a, in a little over a week, uh, they have tickets as low as $38. You can see where you'd see you where you would sit on the SeatGeek app. Uh, and 
they're going to give you, SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code USC. So download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code USC, and you'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. Our guest, Mitch Harper. Follow him on Twitter at Mitch underscore Harper. He's the publisher of Cougar Sports Insider right here on the 24-7 Sports Network. You can also find him talking about the Cougars on KSL Channel 5 in Salt Lake City. And he's also the host of Cougar Sports Saturday on KSL News Radio. Mitch Harper, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, happy to be on board, Ryan. That's uh, great. It's, uh, did I miss any of your titles? You do, you do a lot over there in Salt Lake City, it seems like. Yeah, I do. I am publisher of CougarSportsInsider.com and then also... Uh, creating content with uh, KSL and on radio and TV. So it keeps you busy. You know, BYU is a passionate fan base and, and this, this fan base really wants to consume content. So I strive to provide that uh, on a lot of different outlets. Had a great time. I went there back in the early two thousands and uh, had fun uh, going to the game, uh, Lavelle Edwards stadium. And right now, you know, BYU is coming into this game with a one-on-one record, tough, you know, opening loss to uh, rival Utah, but man, a great come from behind victory in Knoxville, Tennessee. What would you say the mindset of this team is uh, right now heading into the USC game? Yeah, I think I think they're really confident right now, Ryan. I think that they're a team that getting that win against Tennessee, it was the absolute must-win situation because you know both teams, Tennessee and BYU, they were looking to fend off an 0-2 start, and and both head coaches kind of a little bit under fire, Kalani Satake. Now, you know, has been winless against Utah, as you mentioned, in that rivalry game against the Utes. So last week was a must win for the Cougars. And they came away with a victory despite at no point leading in regulation. They never led in the game (laughs) until overtime, and they still found a way to get it done. So that was a much-needed win for this BYU team. Yes, my my wife's a Tennessee grad. She was not very happy about that one, but really exciting game. Uh, But now... The Cougars get to come back home. If you're a USC fan making the trip, maybe you're driving out to uh, Provo or flying to Salt Lake City, wherever you're doing, what do you think the environment's going to be like in Laval Edwards uh, Stadium for this one? You know, that's a great question, Ryan, because, I mean, BYU has had, like many programs out west in particular and around the country, there, there's been some attendance issues for the first time ever, uh, at least in the last 30 years, 30, 40 years of BYU football in the rivalry game. They didn't sell it out. That was the last home game against the Utes a couple weeks ago. It wasn't a sellout. So I'm kind of curious, like like many, to see what the attendance figure will actually be. Now, an afternoon kickoff, I think, should help the cause. And USC is so prestigious of a brand, at least regionally and nationally, that uh, it should bring more fans to the gate for this game. But I, I think BYU fans are, are going to be energetic early on. But I think they're also kind of a little bit nervous because this BYU team, even though they won last week, the offense has still been inconsistent to the point where you don't know what to expect. And that's been kind of the calling card of Kalani Satake teams since he's been the head coach. You just can't figure them out from one week to the next. So I think the fans will, will show up in a pretty good number. I don't know if it'll be a sellout, but they'll also be a little bit nervous as well. The uh, You mentioned the kind of inconsistencies on offense. Seems like a much better second half team is like scoring-wise. I think only nine points total in the first half of the first two games. Anything going on with that? What do, you, what do you make of that? Yeah, I think that one of the big things, Ryan, is that, you know, this BYU program, it's been this way for regardless of who's the head coach, but they're going to have a bunch of guys that are going to give effort for a full 60 minutes. They're not going to give up. A lot of this roster at BYU is the guys that, that dream of being at BYU. I mean, you look at the recruiting rankings as well as anyone, and, and BYU is not anywhere near the elite 
of college football and recruiting rankings. They're in the, you know, the, the bottom half of college football and recruiting rankings, at least recently. So, but you got a bunch of guys, they're going to give it their all for 60 minutes and, and they've been conditioned pretty well. I mean, Kalani Satake has made it a point of emphasis to be lifting every single day and the, the workouts they were put through in the off season were pretty rigorous and they wanted to make sure this was a team that could handle adversity and respond because a couple of years ago when they went four and nine, they were a program that couldn't handle any sort of adversity. So they've made a lot of improvements in that regard, but still uh, this is probably going to be one of the toughest challenges coming up on Saturday afternoon that they've seen at this point. Uh, quarterback Zach Wilson, dual threat guy. You can beat you with his arm and his legs. He was uh, pretty much perfect in the bowl game. He was perfect. Uh, how has he played so far this year? And how do you think he's developed from his freshman year to now his uh, sophomore campaign? I think he's done a nice job thus far. I mean, it hasn't been, uh, you know, lights out like it was in the, in the bowl game. I mean, he's had, you know, that Utah game in week one, you could maybe say he was a big reason why BYU lost. The Cougars had two interceptions that resulted in pick sixes against Utah. So, you know, those can be looked at to point at the Zach Wilson. But I thought last week he did pretty good. I mean, he had 245 yards. 19 to 29, not the greatest game, but he got the job done and made a clutch play at the end of regulation to complete a 64 yard pass to Micah Simon. So, you know, Zach Wilson's a guy that in the off season, he was working with former NFL quarterback and former BYU quarterback who played USC the last time the Cougars and the Trojans squared off. And that was John Beck. He was training with him in the off season. And anyone that talks about Zach Wilson, they'll say the guy's a film junkie. He actually had some, uh, training sessions with Drew Brees, Jimmy Garoppolo, Blake Bortles. So Wilson's been a guy that, uh, you know, he's dabbled with a lot of different people to kind of maximize his abilities as a quarterback. And it's kind of interesting too, Ryan. He's a guy, as far as recruiting goes, very similar to that of Keaton Slovis, a three-star kid, not the most heralded recruit coming out of high school, but seems to be a perfect fit at the program he's currently at. And, and I think that he is the right fit for BYU. It's just still some growing pains. And it hasn't had that that great performance like he had last year at the end of the season in the bowl game. USA had some trouble with uh, a mobile quarterback in the first game against Fresno State, uh, Jorge Reyna. Um, what do you think Zach Wilson can do with his legs in this one? And how overall has the, the Cougars running game been? Yeah, I think the, the running game, I don't know if we're going to see as many design runs for Zach Wilson. That, that tailored off quite a bit from week one to week two against Tennessee. There was like four or five design runs against Utah. If memory serves me right, he only had two against Tennessee. So, and keep in mind, Zach Wilson is coming back from shoulder surgery that he had earlier this year. So he wants to avoid getting hit as much as possible. But it's interesting, Kalani Satake, the head coach of Cougars, he said a couple weeks ago that hey, he wants just, you know, Zach to just run. He doesn't want him to slide as a quarterback because he feels the quarterbacks aren't protected well enough. So that was kind of an interesting commentary from Satake. But if he's asked to run, you know, Zach Wilson can, can pop off some big plays. He had a 26 yarder a couple of weeks ago against Utah. So he's a guy that he, he has the ability to pop off a big play. I just don't think BYU is going to turn to that well very often. I think they'd more uh, likely turn to running back Jason Williams, a South Carolina graduate transfer who, who's been a kind of a, a big thing for BYU last week. He had 97 yards at a rushing touchdown, two rushing touchdowns, including the game winner against Tennessee. So, they're going to be more likely to turn to him in the running attack rather than Zach Wilson. Switching over to the defensive side of the football, it looks like the uh, BYU pass defense has been pretty good this year. USC's strength is definitely going to be through its wide receiver core. Any kind of insight to the, the matchup between uh, the BYU secondary and USC's receivers? 
Yeah, number 20 nationally in pass defense. But I got to say, Ryan, I think since Kalani Sataki has been the head coach, I think this is the toughest challenge that BYU has faced since Kalani's been here as far as defending the pass. I mean, I looked through all the opponents that Kalani defenses have faced, and I just think this is the most prolific passing attack that BYU is going to see since Kalani's been the head coach. Now, as far as the personnel goes, you know, the, the star of BYU secondary, well, the two stars, are Diane Gonwoluku at right cornerback and then also at strong safety, Austin Lee, a former Utah transfer. Those are your top two guys that are going to be, I think, the stars of BYU secondary. Now, they also moved a linebacker, Zane Anderson, who was at the outside linebacker spot. They call it the flash linebacker position. They moved him back to free safety last week against Tennessee. He's now at free safety permanently moving forward the rest of the way. So, he gives them more athleticism and, and trying to maximize, get that best 11 on the field. So they got some talented guys. And, and I think that there's, you know, going to be some opportunity to get some takeaways potentially with this group. They are pretty aggressive, but at the same time, I think that uh, this is the toughest challenge they've seen to date. Tyler Huntley at Utah, good, solid quarterback, not, nothing too special. Uh, Jarrett Garantano at Tennessee, you know, I don't think he was that great of a quarterback. This will be the toughest challenge for the secondary to date this season and I think in the Kalani Satake era. About the uh, the front seven, I think uh, nine different guys have tackles for loss so far this year, but just one sack. I think they've had a little bit of trouble stopping the run. What, what have you seen from the defensive front seven for the Cougars? Yeah, the, the defensive front seven, I think, is a strength, especially the defensive line. The interior of the defensive line in particular, uh, Kairos Tonga, he's the most noteworthy guy He's 6'4", 321. He's a junior. He was a two-star recruit coming out of high school. He was originally a tight end in high school. He was a Utah signee when Kalani Satake and Elisa Tuiaki were at Utah. He goes on a, a two-year Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint mission, comes back, signs with BYU, and he's become a big thing for BYU. Last year or last week, excuse me, battled some some knee tightness, a knee issue, so kind of limited his availability last week. But he's full go this week. And he's going to be a guy that I think potentially could be an NFL player next season. Uh, I think this might be his last year at BYU. But then other guys like Lorenzo Fawatea, he was a three-star kid. Uh, Brackenell back. They got some massive individuals along their defensive line. But as far as creating havoc and, and getting to the quarterback, uh, that just hasn't happened as much. But they're good run stuffers. They're going to be uh, guys that – and it hasn't bore out yet. I mean, the, the, the run production of the opponents has been pretty good for the first two weeks. But I think that BYU feels confident they're going to turn the corner eventually in stopping the run. So I think that's a strength of BYU's team. And then at linebacker, the guy to keep an eye on is Chaz Ayu. He's now taking over that outside linebacker role for Zane Anderson, who, like I said earlier, moved over to safety. He's a former four-star kid, had offers from a lot of programs around the country, probably the most recruited kid on BYU's roster they're really high on him, and that was one of the reasons they made that position change was to get Chaz Ayu on the field in that outside linebacker spot. They're really high on his abilities to make big plays. Mitch, any uh, injury, significant injuries, updates on that uh, going into this game for BYU? Not uh, BYU's pretty healthy. Last year they had a big win at, at Wisconsin, and you know it was a, it was a great win for BYU. But long term, you looked at it and thought, man, they had eight injuries from that win against Wisconsin. Right now, though, BYU coming off a big win against Tennessee, they're pretty healthy, and I think they're feeling good about their health status. So they, they really uh, improved in that regard from one year uh, where they were a year ago. But uh, as far as the injuries go, I, they're, they're pretty much all healthy. Tyson Williams, the running back, he had a little bit of knee tightness. 
last week. But again, he finished that game and had the game-winning touchdown. So that might be something to monitor. But other than that, though, BYU is a pretty healthy group at the top end of their depth chart. So I would expect all the guys that you see in that first string of their depth chart to be playing this Saturday afternoon in Provo. Yeah, it's interesting. USC is kind of in the same boat outside of, you know, JT Daniels, you know, blowing out his knee, but they, you know, they, right. they bounce back with us. Yeah. So both teams should be pretty healthy. Well, score prediction time. Well, how do you think this game's going to go? I don't know if you do predictions, but what, what do you feel like, how, how do you feel this one's going to go? And what do you think the score would be? You know, it's, it's interesting to me, Ryan, because I, I feel like on paper to me, I feel like USC should, should win this game going away. I, I feel like, you know, cause just because the BYU offense, has just not shown enough to, to suggest, at least to this point, that they can keep up with USC. Because I think USC is going to have some big plays. I, I really do. And that's, that's what makes me kind of pause. But at the same time, I'm looking at the line and, and seeing BYU is only a three-and-a-half-point underdog. And it's you know kind of trending down in, ter- in terms of favoring the Cougars, potentially, if you're, if you're monitoring those sort of things. So it's tough to read. But I think that BYU will score some points, uh, maybe more so than what they've done in previous weeks. I'm going to say USC – 30, BYU 24. I think BYU might add a touchdown late, kind of look, make it look closer than it would appear. Uh, but I think the biggest thing for BYU in this game, if they want to keep close and, and pull off the upset against USC, is they got to win the turnover margin or turnover margin because I think if they cough up the football, that might be all she wrote for BYU. They, they are a team that requires to win the turnover margin. When BYU doesn't cough up the football under Kalani Sataki, they're 8-1. and one. In, in, as a record when not giving up the football. So that is going to be of the utmost importance for BYU. But ultimately, I'm going to say the Trojans get it done 30-24. to 24. All right. He is Mitch Harper, publisher of Cougar Sports Insider, right here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Thanks so much, Mitch, for coming on. Hey, thanks, Ryan. All right. Great stuff from Mitch there. We're going to take a quick break and come right back and answer all of your questions. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I'll try to get through these. There's a bunch that you guys have sent in. Leon wrote in, how much of Slowis's success against Stanford do you think stems from them, from them not having any tape on him, or was it merely a result of the new offense that Harrell had installed? He looked really good on the field, so hopefully he can keep it up this season. Hey, Leon, yeah, that's a good point. Um, a lot of times you see that uh, where... People don't know about a quarterback. I think you could even argue like Khalil Tate a couple years ago. They didn't really know the kind of dynamic athlete he was. And for a four-game stretch, he just went on an absolute terror and just crushed people. Um, Will that uh, happen again where like Slovis goes for a while and then people catch up to him? I kind of think there's some combination of things. Yeah, you didn't really know uh, with a a guy like Keaton Slovis. Does Stanford have a different defensive approach would they have dropped more guys into coverage and played more zone if they thought that he could make some of the throws that he was making Stanford treated their backup quarterback who's got more experience than Slovis obviously uh like a like he'd never played before and USC didn't do that they they let him throw it all over the field starting right in the beginning I think a lot of it is the system though I really think it's a quarterback friendly system and it allowed a guy like Slovis to go out there and put him in a great position to succeed. And it helps to have the kind of wide receivers he has. I think the offensive line played better. He had a good running game with him. So all of it kind of went together. Uh, We'll see as the season wears on. Uh, He's got some road games coming up. 
There'll be more tape of him. People might have different ways to defend him. But I think it's going to be more about how you defend the offense, not necessarily just Keaton Slovis. Chris Peterson's figured that out for, for Washington State. I mean, he shuts them down every year. It's a different kind of air raid. But I think you might run into some defensive systems that are just more suited to stop those kind of offenses. And then, you know, it might be coming down to, can he make the right throw, the right play, uh, something off script? Um, we'll see. I don't think he had to do a whole lot of that uh, in the game against Stanford. All right, let's go Adam from Bakersfield. Uh, he said, I just heard the news about Devin Williams going into the transfer portal. I saw his body language when being taken out for Pittman, and it wasn't good. The first thing I thought was he wasn't going to be on the team much longer. I want to know your thoughts on this. Fight on, Adam in Bakersfield. Well, that's a great observation, Adam. I wasn't really watching him specifically. Uh, the first game, there wasn't a lot of substitutions, and we saw substitutions right away. But uh, it wasn't like Devin Williams was involved. Uh, you saw Drake London get involved on that first drive, and he had a big play. So a freshman comes in and is getting a little bit more run than you. I think it's understandable. We haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. I think I think our Chris Trevino's uh, been in contact, but I don't think he's really going to say much uh, on the subject. But um, we'll see. I mean, you—he's uh, a great kid. You'll wish him the the best if he—you know—he could end up back at USC. We've seen that happen numerous times. Um, but even a guy like Valus Jones, who he's getting a lot of run on special teams, we haven't seen him do much in games either. Um, and he was in the transfer portal, so. Grass isn't always greener, uh, but if you saw that from his body language, I believe what you're saying, and uh, that that would make sense. But I, I didn't see that specifically. Uh, Mark Child wrote in, as the university starts its search for a new athletic director, what do you think if instead of looking for experience as an AD, they chose to look for a person who has a background as being sharp in negotiating media contracts and endorsement contracts? This may prove more useful as we approach 2024 and the maturing contracts with Nike, et cetera. Your thoughts, Mark Child. Mark, maybe if you'd had a good AD in place, a good administrator in place for the last 30 years or so, then maybe you could kind of shift focus. But I think you have to be hyper-focused on the role of being an athletic director, being an administrator in the system, and coming in, bringing someone who's done it before, who knows what a well-run athletic department uh, looks like, and you know, including being able to negotiate media contracts, endorsement contracts, things like that. I think that's all part of it. But you can't just focus on that because of a couple of things coming up. You have to fix the athletic department. That's what needs fixing um, more than anything. So you need someone, he or she needs to have that kind of experience where they can come in and look around and figure out, okay, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Why are you doing that? Stop doing that. I can't believe you've ever done that. You've been doing that for how long? There's a lot of that. My guess is there's a lot of that stuff uh, in the USC athletic department. There's just people that have been there forever. And you haven't had a real athletic director in there for a long time. So you needed that. You need someone to come in and there and do that, not just someone that knows the contracts and things. So that's just, that's my humble opinion. Uh, we'll see which way, uh, which direction Carol Fult goes. Okay. We got Dan, not class of 1962. Uh, he said the third string quarterback that beat Duke in the Rose Bowl and won the national championship was, oh, this is for Dan Weber. He was talking about, um, was Doyle Knave, who threw the winning touchdown to Antelope Al Kruger. Okay. USC's has used multiple quarterbacks on numerous winning teams. However, those were winning teams where more than one quarterback could get into the game. The problem with USC quarterbacks the past seven or eight years has been the lack of offensive production, especially against inferior teams, 
where second and third string quarterbacks never get into games, or if they do, it is to take a knee. Blowout wins keep all quarterbacks in games uh, where they are allowed to run the offense. I am hoping that USC can win big in some games so that Matt Fink can get significant playing time and Bryce Young will be able to play as well, whether he starts or not next year. Your thoughts on developing and keeping quarterbacks? Dan, 1962. Yeah, Dan, it, blowouts are really important. And USC wasn't doing that. They weren't they weren't covering any spreads uh, or hardly any spreads. And that's if you're not doing that, you're not beating teams by what people think you should, and then you're not going to get the backups in the game. But the the two quarterback stuff, you just don't see a lot of it in modern college football. It's happened before, but um, there's, I mean, what's a successful program that's had it recently? I guess, you know, Florida won a title when like, uh, was it Tebow that was coming off the bench um, and he did some things? Yeah, I mean, there's just, it's sort of like you got, a dyna- if you got one guy that's like a great runner and he can come in and, and, and run some plays, but it's not like two drop back passers. You're going to play both of them. Uh, it's usually like you got one, that guy that's not as mobile. He's the the better passer. And then you have another guy that's more athletic and maybe he comes in for certain packages, but I, I just don't have a lot of examples of where a two quarterback system works. Uh, and it's just, it's changing the other way. It's like, if you're not the starter, you're transferring out. So there's going to be a lot of guys that start for three years. There's going to be a lot of guys that are starting as graduate transfers because they transfer out of programs. Uh, Jack Sears will be one. Matt, uh, Max Brown will already did that. So we're seeing that all over college football. This is from Lloyd. I know that Carol Fold has a lot of work to fix a lot of problems at SC. Do you think when the Pac-12 presidents meet that she uh, will have noticed the problem with Larry Scott and the Pac-12 network? It looks like the presidents are wrapped around Larry Scott's little finger and they don't have the backbone to fix the problem. Yeah, it's a good point, Lloyd, but I think there's been enough turnover with the presidents that that's changing. Um, we're seeing a, a change there. I don't know what Carol Fultz, um, you know, thoughts are that are we, you know, we haven't really got a chance to to chat with her and she's going to give, you know, she's not going to say anything like, yeah, Larry Scott's terrible. We need to, to fix that. But with new blood coming in and she, you know, she's looking at the competitive landscape. She came from the ACC where they launched a network and it's already better than the Pac-12 network already has better distribution. So I think that's probably bodes well for the chances that she will have a more critical eye, I guess you could say, uh, towards Larry Scott. And that's what the, the conference needs. The, the athletic directors came around. It was just the presidents, the leadership group that hadn't. But the athletic directors are getting more involved now. Um, you're seeing Larry Scott be a little more contrite. I mean, he's got to try to get another deal going. And uh, I think if the presidents were smart, they would make sure uh, that that deal does not come, that they bring someone else to uh, lead this the, this conference into the future and hopefully better deals uh, all around. All right, this is from Trojan99. Just listen to the podcast with Dan responding to the time management question in the first half. I agree with Dan that there was no need for Coach Helton to call timeouts prior to the final drive. However, I personally believe the clock should have been run down more. USC had the ball on first and goal with under a minute to play and three timeouts. The first play is a run that gets stopped, and I noticed Helton running down the sideline to call timeout. I believe with three timeouts and three more downs to get a score, the clock should have been run down the 24 seconds before the timeout. If the team is stopped on the next two downs, then there would be one final play to end the half as each play would take an average of 10 seconds. If the team scores on that very next play, as it did on Saturday, then you leave the opposing team with under 15 seconds to do something. But with more than 30 seconds left on the clock, it allowed Stanford to run a few plays. Unfortunately, uh, nothing came of it. 
but anyone watching the Monday night Houston-New Orleans game knows that 35 seconds is plenty of time to hit a few big plays and get a score. Thoughts on the flip side of the coin as far as time management goes? Thanks, Trojan99. Yeah, good point. I'd have to go back and watch that uh, specifically. I didn't see him uh, running down the sideline to call timeout, but if you do have all three, that does give you the option to run on every down. If you only had like one, then you could like only pick one down to run on and the rest you would have to pass. Um, so yeah, I think that would make sense to me. Um, you know, maybe he had something else in mind, but I, you know, that's, yeah, you got the, all your timeouts left, which we don't typically see at the end of the first quarter. I mean, the first half, uh, that's definitely a good situation where you don't need to call time. You can waste some time because, you know, leave yourself 30 seconds or so and you're going to run the clock down, uh, significantly. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, Jordan, I'd have to go watch. Watch it again just to make sure. Um, let me play a voicemail question for you. Here you go. Hey, guys. Love the podcast. I guess my question is, would you mind putting uh, these USC fans in their place? I mean, a week ago they were calling in. They were asking to put Clay Helton's head on a stake. Now we pull off this win against Stanford, and it seems like the ship has been righted in their eyes. Um, to me, this is still the same team that Shotgun said a week ago was going to go 7-5. and five. Yeah, it was an impressive win against Stanford. I'm excited about that. But you think about Stanford, they escaped against Northwestern. Are they really as strong of a team? Is this as big of a win as people are saying? They're without their All-American left tackle. They're playing without uh, their, their quarterback that had been there the last several years. Um, why don't you guys go ahead and put, put SC fans in their place bring us a little bit back to reality. We're going in for a 12:30 game. I don't know that I like it, but I'm hoping for a win. Appreciate what you guys do. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the question. I don't know if I'm putting anyone in their place. I actually just put a story up on uscfootball.com on uh, Wednesday night about the Stanford false positive. If you look, sometimes you look at the USC's win over Stanford and you're like, wow, this team's going to be amazing. And then they're, they're not, or... Uh, they they didn't look good, you know, in like 2016 against Stanford. Uh, of course, Sam Darnold comes in quarterback and they win the Rose Bowl. So it's not always the Stanford game because it's early and because it's kind of a unique team. It doesn't always tell you the story of what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Now, not a lot, a lot of not a lot of games do, but because Stanford's consistently like the second or third game, and it's a rival, and it's you know in conference, people kind of put a lot of stock in that one. And we we're just kind of saying like, you know pump the brakes a little bit. It might not be uh, that case, but I feel like if you're a USC fan, you should enjoy that win. It's a 25 point win over Stanford. If you're a USC fan that really only wants Clay Helton gone, I mean, it doesn't just because you beat Stanford by 25 doesn't mean that there's not going to be a coaching change at the end of the season. There's a lot of season left. It's only two games in, but if you're a fan, just enjoy it. It's Stanford. You hate, you should hate to Play. Stanford is not a team that USC fans uh, should like play. You you don't like to see UCLA win. You don't like to see Notre Dame win. I think Stanford's pretty close to that. Um, so, yeah, enjoy the win. You get to beat the crap out of a rival, someone that's had a winning record against you the last decade. So that's rare. doesn't happen all the time. So you get a chance to, to get a big win like that. I think just enjoy it and see how things play out. You can still think, Clay Allen's the worst coach, even if he goes undefeated this year. And you could still think USC's the greatest and Clay Allen should be the coach forever if USC finishes 6-6. Six and six. Like, whatever you feel, like, that's fine. Um, so I'm not going to chastise any fans. It's just 
The issue I have is when fans go after each other and it's like, no, my way of thinking is right. You should back Clay Hill no matter what. Or, you know, you he's the worst coach ever. If you back him, you're a, the biggest idiot. Like, I just, you know, people have their own opinions. If Some people just want to back the coach. That's fine. Some people don't like the coach. That's fine. You know, that's that, you're a fan. You have your title to your opinion. But you got to let the others have theirs too. Give them your case. You know, you can make an argument like, here's why I think. But I hate it when the people say, here's why I think. And if you don't think that way, you're an idiot. Um, so we see that a lot on the message boards. All right, thanks for that question. We got Jim B. He said, I read Dan Weber's article, Time for Some Team Building at USC. He seemed to be saying that the people being mentioned in the press are not the kind of people we are looking for, but he offered about four people who could get the job done. My question is, what is your gut feeling? Do you think that we are going to get someone who really, who will really drain the USC Athletic Department swamp, or are we going to end up with another yes man who will take the big bucks to join the USC Country Club and do nothing and not rock the boat? I sent the link with your article to that email address that they gave out. Do you think there's a good chance that they will actually read it or are there are the chances slim and none where none has a lot better chance than slim does fight on Jim B. I don't know the email address they get out. Like they're probably going to have a lot of students manning it and maybe come up with different things. If I, I don't know, I don't know how that's going to work. I, a lot of people said that they sent emails to that. Thank you for sending our article in there. Um, I do feel like USC has become the athletic department is so dysfunctional. And I think Carol comes in fully knowing that the fact that she gets rid of Lynn Swan as quick as she did. And the fact that he had nothing to say, um, going forward, you know, in the statement, it wasn't, uh, they didn't name Steve Lopes, who's number two in the athletic department, uh, to be the interim athletic director. They can't name the number three person because she was arrested by the FBI and fired, um, Lynn Swan is gone. They bring in someone outside who has been around before in Dave Roberts. My gut feeling is, Jim, that they will make a good hire here, that Carol Fult will hire an athletic director and not somebody that's a USC person. So that's, you know, that's my gut feeling on this one. Uh, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. It's USC. They made some, <laughs> some weird decisions in the past. Uh, this is from Bill. Uh, he said, I went to USC in the 1960s. I could not tell you who the AD was, unless I dig out the yearbook, Jess Hill, maybe. Uh, rest in peace, Jess Hill. He was a former coach and an athletic director. I don't remember what years he was, the AD, though. Uh, did not know who football's uh, offensive director was. I remember cheerleaders had to be guys, and I do not recall if there were women's teams. Two big mistakes. I do remember that John McKay was a football coach, and if you ran into him on campus, he was friendly and would answer questions. I also remember when Mark Harbin, Mark Harmon's, and he said Gibbs, dad, Tom, spoke to us something about Christian values. In the winter, we would go to the gym and play basketball with football players and Bill Lee. I also remember that records and ratings were tossed out the door in games with traditional rivals such as UCLA, Stanford, and Notre Dame, and maybe Cal. So forget Saturday's great victory and big score against Stanford. It is likely that neither team will play the same in the next game. Uh, the jury is still out on this young and talented group of Trojans. Rating stars do not measure the heart and gamesmanship of real players. Destiny beckons, but so do pitfalls and surprises. Hoping for the best, bear down. He said, I also went to Arizona. Okay, fight on two. It could be a bitchin' season. Bill in Farmington, Connecticut, USC, 1963 to 1965. Big fan of USC track. Well, thanks, uh, Bill. It was kind of uh, all over the place. But yeah, that's, uh, 
yeah, I, I think if you have a good athletic director, you probably won't remember who he is. When you have terrible <laughs> directors who make these bad decisions and hires and everything, yeah, you're going to remember a lot more uh, about them. But yeah, I think the athletic part was very different back then. Title IX, all the changes uh, that have happened, all the women's teams, things like that. Uh, all right, we got another one from Jim B. Um, is it a foregone conclusion that Jack Sears isn't coming back this year? He didn't come back for a Stanford game, but maybe he just wants to see how the new kids will do. Obviously, he doesn't want to run the practice squad for a whole year, so if Slovis looks like he's the next Sam Darnold, then Sears won't be coming back. But what if Slovis goes out there and shows he's just not ready for the big time? Uh, why wouldn't Sears want to come back? As I understand it, he has two years left, whatever he plays this year or not. Thank, uh, just thinking Jim B. So actually, Jim sent this in before the Stanford game. He did look, like, he kind of looked like the next Sam Darnold. Um, yeah, I think that ship has sailed, uh, Jim. I, I get it. I mean, you, you want to have him around. There's different, uh, I mean, there's just different personalities at play. And I get it. You you go from, you think you're going to be the starter and you're number four. You don't want to be around there. So he can do his own thing. Uh, maybe if uh, one more quarterback gets hurt, he would think about it or something. I don't know. But it just doesn't seem like there's going to be any kind of connection there, Jim. So. But as good as Slovis played, I think you can. I think we can uh, end all the uh, Jack Sears talk. Uh, let's see. I think we got one more. Ed in the Bay Area in the NFL. Oh, this is one. Okay, this is a rules thing. I don't really know. In the NFL, during a punt, only the end men, eligible receivers on the line of scrimmage at the time of the snap, or an eligible receiver who is aligned or in motion behind the line, and is more than one yard outside the end man, are permitted to advance more than one yard beyond the line before the ball is kicked. What are the rules in college? Near the end of the first half, the Fresno State kicker held the ball for a full four seconds before kicking. Thanks and fight on Ed in the Bay Area. So we do see a lot of those um, rolling to the right punts. I don't know if there's a specific rule that's different um, for uh, for college or, or pro. So if there's any kind of rules experts out there, write us in and tell Ed in the Bay Area and we, we can read it off to him. Uh, in the next one. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about that one. Um, we have to ask some referee or something like that. Okay. I think we're going to wrap it up. That's, I think that's all the questions that we had. Thank you for sending those in. Um, it's always fun to uh, do our best to answer those. And the solo ones are kind of fun too, but hopefully you enjoyed the, uh, the Mitch Harper, uh, interview, get some extra insight into what BYU brings to the table. And then of course, make sure you tune, tune in, KABC uh, radio here, 790 in Los Angeles. Friday at midnight is when they play it on the air, but we'll have the podcast version up as well. So hope you enjoy that. Hope you enjoy the game this weekend. If you're driving out to Provo or flying out there or whatever, have a great time. Uh, it should be a fun environment, as uh, Mitch said. So thanks very much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 